Third power gives us flexibility on the real estate side to say, hey, we don't have to sell this. We don't need the money today. Let's hold it, turn it into a rental, add it to the portfolio. I think that's what's really powerful about what you've built and the and kind of the two head, you know, the two companies that you're running. Because I mean that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, making quick cash on flips and wholesales is sure. all fun and dandy, right? But the it goal is. is to build that portfolio, invest your money into assets that continue to pay you when you can't work. A- absolutely. And yeah. so being able to, you know, you, 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 I'm sure you guys have done flips and you've done some wholesales and yes. done some wholesales, but exactly like you said, being able to pick and choose, not worry yes. about the bills not being paid. You've got this company going and yes. this is strictly going out and hunting, hunting to deals. add to yes. that portfolio. Yes. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today, we are here with our good friend from Hemi Construction, Henry Resendez. Yes. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, guys. How about yourselves? We are doing great. Fantastic. Henry is coming in off a 24-hour notice, which is rare for the pod, but we already recorded like 15 minutes of a good podcast before we realized. So is this the outro? Is yeah, that we, yeah. Oh, okay. We need to get started. So, dude, thank you for coming in. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for uh, inviting me over here. Well, we want to, let's recap a little bit of what we were talking about before. Tell us about your education background. My education. So I am a high school graduate. Went to Bullard High School. Um, actually, Tanaya Middle School, then Bullard High School. And I only went to Bullard till my sophomore year. And then I started working full-time in construction. My grandfather was a licensed general contractor, and his dream was to have me take over the family business. So opted for that, that route, and he kind of enticed me and lured me over by giving me a pickup, a 1991 uh, GMC Sierra extended cab, and he knew I really wanted that truck. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of what I used to twist my arm over to the dark side, right? So... Um, actually went to DeWolf High School. They had a work program, and I opted to take a test, an exam similar to a GED. I have a proficiency high school diploma that is only recognized here in the state of California, which I don't have any plans to, uh, to ever leave California. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my highest level of education. And I have a PhD in construction, by the way. <laughs> Well, that's why we have you in is your background is is um, much more sophisticated than a lot of the people who come on. Um, you've got your general contractor's license. Correct. And you do a lot of time in fire restoration right now. Um, that is my bread and butter. So since we're on that topic, I would say around eight years ago, kind of made a commitment to only take on insurance losses for insurance payouts. Mm. Why? So lucrative. So how lucrative and they keep us very busy throughout the year. How did you know about that? So my grandfather actually introduced me to that. Oh man, 15, 17 years ago, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just kind of started uh, getting better and better at that networking with insurance adjusters, uh, learning how to use their estimating tool that's uh, preferred across the board. So yeah. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask. Whatever ended up happening, did you end up taking over your grandfather's company and growing that in, into this niche of fire restoration? Or how did that branch off happen? Mm. 
Well, first of all, it's very difficult working with family. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it was just a long time coming. Like, I, I should have broke away sooner, you know. So for the last 15 years of, of my grandfather's company, I was running the day-to-day operations. And, you know, my grandpa was very old school. He felt if there was a nail to pound, we had to pound that nail. And it just, it sucks up all your time when I should be out hunting projects. I'm over there manually doing the work. Um, it was good and bad in the beginning because I get to learn all these trades and I have journeyman level experience at HVAC, electrical, plumbing, you know, you name it, carpentry, all of it. So it makes me a better tradesman, but, you know, I have to, like now I kind of sub a lot of things out. Mm-hmm. I pick and choose what I, what do I want to do? Um, and it, it just allows me to go out and hunt more projects. I want to I want to dive into that, but let's linger here for a minute. Kate and I have zero construction background, and I think for us, we use I call it the newbie method, um, where we do a lot of price per square foot stuff and things like that. And obviously, that's not how projects actually get budgeted. It's not right. strictly price per square foot. Maybe that's material and labor on flooring or certain things. But how how many years were you doing? all the tradesman activities and then for years (laughs) at what point did you say you know what i think i've got every single one of these things nailed down like let's consider doing more of this other oh yeah yeah. no absolutely so when i broke away to be honest with you so i got my own license in 2018 so Hmm. five years now it'll be five years this november and how many years were you working in construction since i was 16 years old (laughs) okay so probably 20 years oh my goodness Yeah. And when I tell you I started at the very bottom, I was the I was a labor. Stack lumber here, dig a hole here, dig a trench here, you know, and then slowly pick up the hammer, frame this, nail this together. And you know, you learn construction is something that you learn by doing. You know, mm-hmm. there's you, you can you can study and watch videos or whatever you want to do. You have to get out there and get dirty, you know. Mm-hmm. You got to you're going to you're going to smash your finger with that hammer a few times when you first start and it's just natural, you know. It happens. Do you do you kind of miss doing some of the manual labor? Um I don't miss it. Um and it's funny cuz I had this conversation with Jason Saturday and I said I have to keep my skills sharp. Like yeah, if yeah. I don't do something for a while and then I pick up that hammer, it's a little rusty the first few swings, you know. <laughs> so I, I like to keep my skills sharp and I have this sick love-hate relationship with it. I do like you know, performing the trade work. Um, I was having a conversation with another uh, real estate investor. I said, sometimes I get more tired sitting at my desk Mm. doing desk work. And it's like, I need to break away and get out in the field. I'm itching to get out there. Like it's uh, just something I feel comfortable doing. Yeah. The desk work and hunting the projects is necessary, you know, so. Well, and I'll bridge that into you and I had lunch a couple of weeks ago. We did. And you made a funny point. No, that I, dude, Sorry, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave. Let Kate answer that. No. One. <laughs> um, and you had said something funny because, and, and we'll get into your story here about transitioning. Well, not transitioning, but adding on the investor right, piece you to go. your business. Yeah. But when you've been in the trenches, right, getting back into it, keeping your skills sharp, but yes. having to answer the Google Voice calls oh, that are routed gosh, into your yeah, phone so. and taking off your gloves and going to somewhere quiet, like. Talk about that a little bit, too. I have this sick mental block where I have, you know, trust issues, and I need to hire somebody. So, once again, uh, I'm on the fence on hiring a VA because of what you just said, Kate, because 
you know, all the calls that come in for Hemi Investments ring to my phone, mm. okay? And I can tell, I have Google Voice, that's my main phone number. There's a lot of little things that we need to make adjustments for. We need to add some some other phone numbers. I need a VA to start answering these calls because guys are out there making noise, ha- hammers are flying, nails are being pounded, and it's like I'm running to my, my truck to answer this damn call. And I have to catch my breath and be professional. Like, yes, hi, this is Henry with Hemi Investments. How can I help you? And it's hard to do that when you're out in the damn field, you know, so yeah. And it's 106 out. <laughs> you're panting out like a dog. Breath. Yeah. <laughs> so when you left your grandpa, how long had you been thinking about, because you were working all insurance with your grandpa? Towards the end, yes. But we used to take on remodeling, additions, mm. uh, kitchen and bath remodels. For homeowners or for, for homeowners? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we used to do all those things, but it's very challenging when you're working in somebody's home and they're occupying it. Mm. And I don't miss that part. Like, I just recently completed a fire repair where they were occupying it. I don't, I don't like it. You know, we're dealing with dust control. Yeah. Oh, you know, can you let us in? We're here to work. And, you know, they're a little leery. They don't want to just let us put a lockbox and have a key to access the property. I get it. All your personal stuff's there. Um, what's nice about fire is that these houses are so destroyed, they're not habitable. You have no choice. Like you got to go live somewhere else. And I'm happy about, you know, not to sound rude about it, but it's like, it just makes our jobs easier. Um, had a cabinet installer one time. Hey, how late can I work here? As late until you can't see, man, you know, go ahead and stay as long as you want. Um, can't do that when you're, when you're working in somebody's home and they're residing there. Right. Mm. And it feels like it, that would be very much a micromanaging situation where, you know, the average person like me or Cade may not know what that process looks like. And we may ask a lot of questions or uh, maybe um, out of our own expertise, give you advice on what to do. And and so when you own the property or it's fire damage, you don't have that person peeking over your shoulder. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we get full control because it, it's, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm working for a client that has a fire damage property, I have to ask permission for everything. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you like this ceiling fan? Do you like this vanity? Do you like these cabinets? And sometimes I have to bring them back down to earth because some people will, you know, they think they had a lottery, they have a lottery ticket. No, hey, listen, <laughs> we have a budget still. Okay. This is what's allotted for material. This is what's allotted for labor. Um, and I have to kind of slowly bring them down to earth and say, Hey, look, we can, we can go high grade custom stuff if you're willing to pay the differences. So we have to have those conversations and uh, we find some middle ground, but it's asking, do you like this? Do you like that? When we own the property, as you both know, when you're rehabbing your own properties, I don't ask anybody. As long as it fits within our budgets and we like the colors. And we have to keep in mind, too, at the same time, I mean, we can't go all gothic on the house because mm. that may be our personal style. We have to find colors that are going to appeal to the masses, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and talk about the flip side, too, because you're talking about the relationship and the conversations with the homeowner, Correct. right, with yes. all this stuff. What about at the very beginning when you're kind of the middleman and you're going to bat for your clients when you're talking with the insurance The insurance companies, adjuster, yeah. How yeah, does absolutely. that conversation look? You know what? We we try to get along pretty well, and, and everybody's personality is different, right? So yeah. there's some adjusters, and uh, they kind of have their chest puffed out. Hey, I've been estimating claims for 25 years, and you know whatever I say goes. Those are the challenging ones to deal with. I actually took on a fire repair for Jason. I'm going to mention him here again in Hanford, because that was probably the last challenging adjuster that I had to deal with. And 
I've learned over the years because when I was younger, I would puff the chest out too. Oh yeah, well I'm a, I'm a contractor. Blah blah blah. And it's like now I just kind of laugh it back and I'll I'll take a step back. You know what? I I, I understand you've been estimating for twenty five years and and that's great. However, you've missed X, Y, and Z, and we need to assess these things. And you get more bees with honey, right? So yeah. um, from that standpoint, things go smoother, and we're able to work it out. You know. So when you're talking with those insurance adjusters, what does that process look like? I've never had a property burn. Well, I just walk over there, and I tell them, listen, man. No. Yeah, <laughs> puff we, your chest out. Yeah, exactly. Well, how do you even get contacted for that job? So I have built some relationships with certain adjusters here locally. They have to walk a fine line. They mm-hmm. can't flat out tell the client, hey, he's good, you know, hire them. All he can do is simply make an, in, he, he or her, all they can do is make a uh, introduction. Hey, Henry takes on nothing but fire restoration claims. His customers seem to be happy. And that's about it. They can't really overstep. Mm-hmm. They have to walk that fine line. The reason why they cannot encourage you to hire somebody is that there's California state laws that we all have yeah. to abide by. Um, they can only refer somebody if the client asks. Okay. Mm. So if they ask, they can provide a list. It can be a short list. They can provide three or, or, you know, five references. And all I ask is, Hey, put me at the top of that list. <laughs> so when you're, when you get introduced, you talk with the client. Do I you, speak with the client directly. You okay. Wa- it's still their decision. They, they are entitled to choose mm whomever they want. It's their property. Right. Um, and we have to be very transparent about that. And it's my job to convince them. So lately it's been like, hey, let's make some content. Let's shoot some cool videos before and after. It's one thing for me to tell you we're pretty good at what we do. It's another thing if I can bombard you with 10, hey, check. I want to send them so many things. They're like, dude, stop. That it's It's too much. Like, well, I'm just trying to show you that this is what we do. Yeah. This is how we can make your house look. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and how are, like, when, when, so you get the job, right, and things are handled, how are funds handled throughout, like, you know, like a fire restoration that's project? A great, that's a great question. So, this is why not any general contractor can take on these projects, because some people aren't used to waiting to get paid. Hmm. So, you you brought up, how, how do the monies get paid out? So, 99% of, of my projects have a mortgage on them, right? So the mortgage carriers, they're the silent owner too, right? The check would be cut from the insurance company to the homeowner's name and the, the lien holder, the mortgage company. All those funds go to the mortgage company's lost drafts department. They deposit those funds into a restricted escrow account. They'll send you a list of procedures, all the paperwork they require, they're very, they're very particular. If you don't send them everything that they want, they will not release any money. Now, they release draw payments in pretty significant increments, right? Usually, it's three or four checks throughout the job. So if we're dealing with a project, some of my projects, $350,000 claims. Hmm. We'll get a check for like ninety grand up front, and we have to go from 0% all the way to 50%. Jeez. Yeah. Just on that 90000 Just on that 90000 hmm. So then... Sometimes the homeowners will raise an eyebrow. Oh, man, this, this is a big check. And I'll say, listen, I have to go from zero to 50. Look at the whole number, okay? There's going to be a time where you're trusting me in the beginning, and then I'm going to have to trust you that once these payments keep trickling in, you're going to gladly just hand them over because it's not going to get me 
this 90 grand is going to go quick. And now I have to wait to get another payment. So mm. we carry a lot of cash on hand mm. to fund these jobs. A lot of contractors won't do that. They'll yeah. stop and they'll say, hey, we can't go any further until we yeah. get a payment. So, Well, in payment, to clarify, the payments, when the draws are cut, they're coming out of this restricted escrow account from, from the, the mortgage, mortgage company. carrier. Who's to the home? Whose owner? offices are on the East Coast? <laughs> you can bear. You can't get a hold of them on the phone. It's like thirty to forty <laughs> minutes every time uh, I call to mm, talk to these guys. Geez. Yeah. So it and then it's it's cut. The draw is given to the homeowner, and the homeowner pays you. the The check is cut. See, before they used to do things differently. They mm. would name me and the homeowner. They've stopped doing that. Checks are made strictly to the homeowner's name now. So it goes to the property owner. And keep in mind, these are big checks. So what does the bank say? Oh, it's a big check. Seven to 10 day business hold. So now there's more waiting involved. Yeah. And, you know, hey, there's no way around that. It is, well, I take it back. Unless the, the owner has a significant amount of money in their mm-hmm. bank account, then they'll go ahead and issue it right away. But for the most part, there's going to be a hold on it. And just based on the honor system now, because, you know, homeowners, uh, you know, probably many have never seen a $90,000 check at one time hit their account, right? Absolutely. Have there been, you know, is it based on an honor system when, you know, for you it's all to tr- start to get paid out? <laughs> it's all trust. And I tell my potential clients at the beginning, hey, this is a relationship like any other relationship. We have to have communication. <laughs> we have to trust one another. Yeah. Okay. And we have to get along. Hmm. All those things are very important. So... Um, yeah, do I get a little? Of course, because there are substantial amounts of money. Now you understand why the mortgage company is named on the check. Can you imagine a world where <laughs> the mortgage company said, "Oh, three hundred fifty thousand dollar claim. We trust you. Here, here's the money." You guys, can you imagine? They would say, "Hey, screw this house. We're gonna go and buy the dream car or take the vacation we've been dying to do." Yeah. Well, okay. So then. They cut the personal check. It goes to you. You get started on it. What's that first 50% look like on a fire restoration project? So by that time, we have all the demolition work done in the background. Plans are being drawn, uh, getting submitted to the city of Fresno or the city, uh, I'm sorry, the county of Fresno or Clovis, wherever we're working. Hmm. Okay. We have to deal with that local building jurisdiction. And they're all slow moving. And I can tell you right now, they share that in common. They're, They're very slow moving. We're looking at three to four month turnaround for a plan check, and it's ridiculous, right? Because why is that? It's funny because it's the office, the plan checkers. They want to make sure everything's dialed in, and it's like, look, guys, we're not reinventing the wheel here, you know. So it's it's like DMV. You go in and take a number. So as soon as we get those plans in, if there's a track developer ahead of us that submits plans for a hundred houses, well, they're in front. You know, we have to wait till they're out of the way, and then it's you know, it's just next in line. It's first come, first serve. Mm. Um, on my repair, it's a little different because the foundation's there. We're not altering the footprint of the building. We're basically putting it back together the way that it was. Uh, although we're using different materials for the finishes, restrooms are where they are, kitchens where it's at, garages where it's at. We're not we're not modifying the layout of the house. So, who drafts those plans? Uh, the draftsman that I've been working with is my man Tony Gonzalez at Unique Designs, and. What does that process look like? Does he have to come walk the property? Absolutely. Yeah. Every, every, every property is different. So what I like to do is we like to do all the demolition work before he comes out. So he's not trying to walk through all the uh, insulation that's on the floor with drywall and other debris in the way. We'll, we'll gut it all out and say, hey, Tony, come on. We need the, the plans. I need, I need them yesterday. Uh, him and I joke all the time because I say, 
oh, this should take you about five minutes. Come on, man, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and is that another relationship? Like, uh, obviously, that's subbed out right to your Correct. draftsman. Yes. And yep, because you I'm, I'm you don't want to see my the, drawings. The, Kate. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back to like the way the money's flowing in this whole process, right? And so, how, how so is plans, draftsman getting paid? plans are not paid? That that initial check that's cut. So mm-hmm. let's say. And we don't make up the prices, so we use yeah. a, a, we use a, the insurance preferred estimating tool. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're owned by a company called Exactware, and the product that we're using is called Exactimate. Okay, so every thirty days we download a new price list for our zip code that we're working in. Okay, every every city, every zip code is different, and it's kind of compiled by other contractors and rates, and it's pretty cool. It's a powerful tool. Now keep in mind. Uh, they'll have like tier levels. Like if we use a finish item, say cabinetry, they don't have, you know, KitchenAid cabinet, you know, or whatever, craft-made cabinets or whatever the brand may be. They'll have economical grade, average grade, better, and then custom. So it's our job as the, the contractor on site. We can tell by looking at something what grade and we select the accord, you know, the category for what we see on site. So that's the obligation with the insurance carrier. They owe you for what you had prior. So if you had Formica countertops, guess what? That's all we can collect for. I can't say, hey, we had, you know, we had uh, quartz here, man. No, no, that's not quartz. That's Formica. That's Mm. what, that's what we're going to get reimbursed for. Yeah. And so when, the insurance adjuster, does he do a separate estimate and you do an estimate? It like, depends on the adjuster. So what I like to do, and I like to schmooze my way in, right? So I will offer them and say, hey, how about I write the estimate and I have the ability to send him the file that I've used to create it. Mm. What that would do on his end, he can totally take my letterhead off, slap his on there and call it good. <laughs> and that saves a lot of the legwork. Some adjusters are like, oh, really? Yeah, well, I'll let you write it and then I'll review it. Um, some adjusters will say, well, no, I need to write my own. And then I write my own anyways, cause I, I kind of want to see where we're, where, where are we different? Yeah. Once again, we don't create the prices. The thing that we have control over is square footages, lineal footages. If we're talking cabinets, cabinets are paid in lineal footages. So if he totally misses a section, maybe there's a small coffee bar, right? Three feet of cabinetry. Well, we leave that out. That's just dollars on the table. Cause not only did we leave out the cabinets, we left out the countertop the backsplash along with it, cabinet pulls, the list goes on and on. So one little item can turn into a couple of thousand dollars really quick. Yeah. And so you you work with the insurance adjusters. Correct. You work with the draftsman. You work with the client. You work with... With the city or the county or whatever building jurisdiction. How many relationships are you managing? Too many. (laughs) (laughs) Like it sounds like it's... You said it's a lucrative business, but this sounds really difficult. It's a lucrative business. It is difficult. It's challenging. And and not to mention, uh, with fire restoration here in Fresno, so the fire department has these ordinances, and they'll get involved and say, you know, the the building department will come out. And part of the, the first step we have to take, it's called a residential property inspection, damage inspection, okay? Because there's so many different ways a property can sustain damage, right? Fire, obviously, being number one. Uh, runaway car, vehicle crashes into a building, uh, tree fall over, wind damage, okay, water damage. There's so many different ways. So they'll they'll classify it as a residential property damage inspection. They'll come out, and it's kind of a pre-printed form. And one of the boxes on there is you must consult with the fire department. So mm. most of the time they're going to check that box. 
So when we consult with the fire department, they're going to say, based on the damages the building has sustained, guess what? We now want a fire mm. protection system. So fire sprinklers throughout the entire house, including the garage. So that's another entity that we have to deal with. Okay. And what does that look like cost-wise? Cost-wise for your average uh, single-family dwelling, you know, between 1,500 and 1,700 square feet, by the time you pay labor material and the permit fee with the fire department, you have to pull out your own permit separate from the building side. You're looking between nine and ten thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. And these this is like retrofitting old homes that didn't have that didn't have it system. prior. So that's Jeez. a good point. So since you brought that up, if your insurance policy doesn't have building code and ordinance upgrades, guess who's paying for that fire protection system? The homeowner. Oh. Because if you don't have that rider, oh, absolutely. Because if you don't have that rider in your policy, they're going to say, hey, building and have it before, and you don't have code upgrades in your policy, falls back on the homeowner. Wow. That's so happened. That's, that's a few good times. to know. Yeah. That's a very good thing to know. For I am an to advocate for, for people oh. making sure they have the <laughs> proper insurance. Oh, geez. Because I see a lot of the ugliness that can happen. And a lot of us think, hey, that's never going to happen to me. Well, Everyone all says all of my clients yeah. thought the same thing, and well, they I'm, have to go through it. I'm curious, talking about insurance companies, ha, has there been, in your experience, better insurance companies that have, that have been not only better for you to work with, but just an all-around smoother transaction, or have they all been pretty similar? You know, Kay, that's a very unfair question, and I've had people <laughs> ask me that before. Because remember, I'm dealing with one representative, Yeah, and, and it's it's so hard to to gauge a company mm-hmm. with that one representative, because everybody's personality is different, right? So let's just use farmers in- insurance as an example of that. There are some adjusters I just have the smoothest time with, and there are some that just give me the hardest time. They push back on everything. Hmm. Well, why do we need to, why do we need to change this out? Or why do you, why do you, why are you proposing this? Or why are we doing that? And it, it, it's, it's not fair not because bad. we're, we're dealing with the one assigned representative from that company, and it's hard to gauge them based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, they all pay out, okay? And <laughs> they have to. I mean, hey, yeah. look, they have laws yeah. that they have to follow as well. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what's right is right. It's my job to kind of, you know, show them and prove to them, hey, look, uh, we need to alter these windows in the bedroom because they don't meet fire code escape. It's called egress. Uh, we have to modify the openings. Hmm. And, okay, great. Do you have a correction? Here it is. This is what the city wants us to do. So if we provide them things that can support their file, because they have bosses just like everybody else. They have right. a manager. And if their manager sees something that was paid out that they don't have justification for, then they can come down hard on them. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Again, more relationships that you have to manage. <laughs> a lot of relationships. There's a lot of moving pieces when we take on a fire claim. And what's the name of your construction company real quick? Third Power Construction. Kind of a okay. play on my name because I'm Henry Resendis the third. Dude, you are on point. See, and you were telling us earlier, we'll transition into your Hemi See, investments. Hemi investments, yes. What does Hemi stand for? My wife's name is Michelle. So Hemi, people say, oh, are you a, a Dodge fan? No, it has nothing to do with the motor company. Um, first two initials of my name and first two initials of her name. That's awesome. Yeah. So let's, well, let's make that transition. You went from doing a lot of insurance stuff. You still do. I still do. Yes. But now like the real, like the reason we have you in here is because like you're beating me out on so many deals, (laughs) including in my own neighborhood. Uh, I told you that he locked up a deal around the corner that I used to run by every day. 
And like, and you couldn't get a hold of them for find the long. <laughs> like two days before, I'm like banging on the door. They're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna take the neighbors." Like they're gonna take an offer from somebody, and I'm like, "Please open that door." And um, so you're you're finding a lot of deals now and doing your own we're, projects. We're starting to gain some traction. So we've kind of dabbled in in real estate investing. I would say in 2019, um, I actually came across a fire loss. It's one of my first transactions in real estate. And uh, the reason why I fell in love with it, I went to go out and, and I was talking with the homeowner and everything was looking good. And then he shows me his insurance policy. He has a California fair plan. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, this is probably the worst policy that anybody can carry. And it had, it had limitations. I think his policy maxed out at, at $60,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, Anthony, you have over $80,000 worth of damage on this home. Oh man, I'm just tired of this property. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm already kind of like, man, this, this job that I thought I, I had reeled in is not looking too great. And, you know, you try to find the silver lining and, and I'm glad I kept pursuing it because he says, you know, this, this house is just a pain in my butt. I want to sell it. Do you want to buy it? And I'm like, absolutely. And he, and the way he was talking, I'll just give it to you. I'll give it. I'm like, no, you're not going to give it to me. So I'm thinking we got to come up with the price. So this was the deal we made. He was worried that his insurance carrier wasn't going to pay the max $60,000. So I told him, I will write an estimate. I will meet with your insurance adjuster. I will go to bat for you. But you and I have to agree on a fair number to sell me this property and as his condition. And he proposed $10,000. And looking back at it, I should have just said yes and shook hands and immediately drew up the contract. I'm over there negotiating. (laughs) I brought it down to $7,000. I bought a house. Fire damage for seven grand. And I ended up selling it in as is condition to another investor for $56,000. Wow. So, yeah, that was my first taste in real estate. And had you done any, like, how did you know to buy it for less than 10? Like, did you, were you getting any advice or was this all just like, hey, I think no, this could I, be it, more? It, I knew it needed $80,000 worth of work. So, there, there's that, right? And it was a two bedroom, one bath. This was major cross streets, Belmont first, not the best yeah. neighborhood. Yeah, no. Uh, a little rough over there, right? So uh, all those things kind of played a role in my, in my price. And uh, he was just frustrated. You know, he, he wanted out of it. I had to talk to city code. Code enforcement was all over his butt. So I had to call code enforcement, put that fire out. <laughs> kind of make them go away. Did you earn your money right they there. They did, man. Yeah, yeah. And and so after you did that deal, you, you closed on it and you sold it or did you assign it? I closed on it. And then I was uh, Jason, once again. You know, his, his name keeps coming up because he has kind of helped me a lot uh, to, to kind of point me in the right direction on which steps to take to get into real estate investing. So he was super excited. And uh, he's like, hey, man, I'll, I'm going to list it for you. We'll have some people come out. I'll have one of my team members there. Um, they'll show the property and, you know, we're going to sell to the highest bidder. I'm like, great, let's do it. And in my head, I was thinking, oh, we'll probably get offers for 30, 35,000. I never would have thought that it was sold for $56,000. Yeah. And so, I mean, you have a great experience there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, were you like, no, nah, I'm doing this full time? Like what, what, what transpired? Um, I, I kept, you know, thinking, okay, what can we do to, to find, cause I see what Jason's doing. I see other real estate investors on Instagram and it's like, okay, this, this is real. Okay. This, this can happen. And I have that 
like direct correlation, construction and rehabbing and, and, and real estate investing go hand in hand. Yeah. Because if I purchase a property, I don't have to go out and source a contractor. That's, that's my nine to five. That's what we do. And we do major rehabs. I mean, major reconstruction, right? So if we're just throwing lipstick on a house, oh, hell, that's easy compared to what we're used to doing. Yeah. Well, and again, before the pod, I think we were talking about this, that like we use cheater methods to come up with our estimates. Right. Yeah. You will know. I mean, you and I've walked properties before and I'm yes. like, oh, I think it's going to be X. And you're like, no, it's it's going to be Y. <laughs> and Y is way higher than X. And my my lenses are a little different because of that. And then keep in mind, my numbers and prices are a little different because mm-hmm. sometimes, like I said earlier, uh, I get to pick and choose, you know, maybe a higher trade that would cost me more dollars. I can say, no, we can handle this internally. You know, my guys and I, my hourly guys and I can can tackle this and we can save some bucks there. So um, it, it's finding that balance. So my lens is a little bit different than the, your your typical investor because they might not have a whole lot of hands-on experience and or be tradesmen to say, hey, we can we can do this in-house. They have to rely on their subcontractors and, and the pricing that they're, they're, they're going to get. Well, and also I feel like it carries a lot of weight the same way that Cade and I have the benefit of being realtors. You know, when we talk about what this house is worth, people carry a little bit more weight to sure. what we say only because we have that credential. And, and that makes sense. But and when you talk to a client and you and they say, this rehab should only cost 20 grand, you can quickly say, hey, I, you know, this may have cost 20 grand when my grandpa got started. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but this is a, this is a $90,000 rehab because yes. of X, Y, and Z. And right. they could interrogate you and you'll know everything. Have yeah. you had that? I've had that before. And I've had, I've had clients when they see an insurance payout, they, you know, they think it's a lottery ticket once again. And I have lost jobs because in their mind, hey, we can get any contractor to do this. And I've had people reach out to me months later and come back and tell me, hey, man, do you remember me? Yeah, yeah, what's going on? How's your project? Well, that's why I'm calling you. Nothing's happening. It's been four and a half months. Oh, really? Okay, I kind of want to say I told you so, but <laughs> right. sometimes I can pick up the pieces and make things work, and sometimes they're just too far in. Money's been Too much money's been paid out. I'm like, hey, look, guys, I wish you the best of luck. You're You're in too deep with this other contractor. You just have to uh, give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to perform. Yeah. Well, and like when you've moved to the investing side too now, you're you're bidding on properties that you're going to buy. You're not right. working for insurance. What does that conversation look like? Because I know people interrogate us and they're like, well, you know, what's your background? What do you know? Blah, blah, blah. Because everybody feels like they know their home better than you. And sure. I give them the benefit of the doubt. But ours is more based on values. Right. Is yours a lot on fixing the home? Fixing the home. Absolutely. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I do kind of reference that. To, to let them know, hey, look, no offense, but this home needs a lot of work. And by the way, I'm also a licensed general contractor. So when I see a property, I can gauge very quickly on what this is going to take to rehab. So that helps me with my numbers, going back to what you said, uh, comping. Comping ARV for me has been tricky um, because I'm limited. You guys have access to MLS. You get to see a little bit uh, you get to see more recent sales or pending sales, right? I only use radar, property radar, so I, don't, I can only see what's sold, and that, those are months old. So it's a little challenging, challenging for me sometimes to come out with, okay, what's, what's a real ARV? What am I going to get for this property once I dial it all in? What have you done to kind of get through that challenge? 
just you know kind of go outside the area um, find as many homes as I, that I can see on on radar and just kind of average it out and help me and that kind of helps me along with where I think my numbers are going to be at the end yeah well dude you're talking like a seasoned investor like you've been doing like that I, I you've have to been... fake it till I make it Kate. Well, we talked about that <laughs> we did been working my whole life man we did but I dude I want to ask you because we have obviously a lot of people who listen to the podcast who either one are looking to get started in real estate investing right. or two may have a deal or two under their belt, but really looking to get their feet settled in. Sure. What, what do you attribute? Like talk about the growth a little bit. Cause it sounds like it's been a lot and fast and like the way you talk and the way you're doing business, you're doing it like a seasoned well, pro. I appreciate man. that, man. I really do. Um, you know, I, I think I'm so comfortable with it just because of the strong background in construction, because I, I try to think of, okay, a new investor, who doesn't have a strong background in construction, think about how discouraging that could be when they're looking at a property that's totally beat up and they have no background. I I can see that being an obstacle that they're going to have to overcome. Um, That's why I think it's been easier for me to to kind of adapt to the real estate side of it um, because I have that strong background. But, um, you know, the challenge for me has been finding deals. So, um, the whale that's been drawing water has been mailers for me. So it's something that, you know, we can set up online and I don't have to personally handwrite a letter and, and send it out. We can just have a service take care of that for us. So since that's been bringing in leads, we've actually increased our mailing list uh, very recently from, I think it was sending out 1,100 letters mm-hmm. a, a month to a little over 3,000 letters now. So Wow, tripled it. Yes, our net has gotten wider and it it's paying off because we're getting more leads come in, the phone's ringing a little bit more and it's turning into real deals. And you know, I have to clarify this because it's not everybody's experience that 1100 mailers gets deals. You have a niche in talking with people. I mean, that's clear. Already, you, yeah. You've built that out over a long I'm, time. I'm used to hearing no quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're also, you're a good salesman. You've already talked about, you have to sell the adjuster. Uh, you, the have, adjuster. You, have you have to, to sell, sell the client. Yeah, right, yes. So when you're talking with these people as a as an investor who's only really been doing a lot of your own flips for the last four or five years right. and now more seriously making this a, a bigger part portion of your business. Right. Has that been difficult or have you found it pretty natural? Um, it's been difficult just because, once again, I wear too many hats. Mm-hmm. I want to do everything myself. I have, have these trust issues like, okay, if I hire somebody, I don't want them to foul this up. You know, I want to be in control of that. So letting go for me has been challenging. And to be honest with you, I know I'm in my way of the real estate side really taking off. So I need to find somebody that can help me answer calls, qualify leads. We're good at closing. My wife, my wife is actually really good at closing. She's my secret weapon. I have taken my wife out to challenging clients that, that were like on the fence of hiring me to restore their home. Come on, Michelle, go with me. I want you. <laughs> and it's like, there we are signing because she's just naturally genuine and wants to talk to you. Um, you talked about Carruth earlier, the property yeah. that I purchased that, that you lived uh, in, in that neighborhood, right? Yeah. Or you still live in that neighborhood. Yeah. I got it because of her. Well, I and took you... her to the meeting and the, the gentleman that owned the property fell in love with her, <laughs> you know? And yeah, she's my That's secret awesome. weapon, man. So she's, I'm more, you know, I can be friendly and 
I'm more of the business side. She she knew this man's whole life story. She's telling him, I'm like, damn, you guys just talked for like 30 minutes. How do you know his whole life story? So she's really good at building that rapport. And I think that's important. Absolutely. What's it like having her, you know, working with, you mentioned before the podcast, you're hoping that you your business gets so busy that she feels that need to, to jump over. How is it she, like working with her She's, wife? you know what? I'm all for it. I think she has an issue because she says that I, I don't, I don't talk very friendly. When I'm in business mode, I'm not going to stop and say, can you pretty please do this? It's going to be like, hey, I need you to take care of this. And she doesn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> she thinks her. She thinks that we're going to butt heads because of that. <laughs> and I said, you have to understand, there's nobody else that I would really trust with this business other than you. I mean, mm. you're, you're one of the founding owners of this thing already. So... She's, she's really good at her current job right now. She is a call center supervisor for Planned Parenthood. She works 100% from home, which I could never do. I couldn't either. Oh, God. I would go absolutely <laughs> insane, you know. So, um, and, and, and it's tough because when I get home, like, I'm driving around town all damn day, and I don't want to leave the house once I get home. And she's, like, itching to get out to go, like, hey, let's go eat somewhere. I'm like, really? I've been out all day. But um, I think she's just gotten really comfortable in where she's at, and I see more potential in her. And my hopes is that Hemi Investments phone is just ringing off the damn hook where we have too many deals on our plate where, okay, you have to come in full time. Otherwise I can't, you know, my plates are already full with third power construction and I'm trying to manage this whole other entity that we've created that's starting to generate income. And what it, what it is too, is like our whole goal is to have a rental portfolio, so it's nice that we have third power construction because that pays for all our bills and expenses and it kind of alleviates the pressure on the investment side because if all we did was investing, maybe we wouldn't be able to hold as many properties because we still have to pay our bills and live, right? So if I see a property that I would want to turn into a rental, I, maybe I might be forced to sell it because we need to generate income. Third power gives us flexibility on the real estate side to say, hey, we don't have to sell this. We don't need the money today. Let's hold it, turn it into a rental, add it to the portfolio. I think that's what's really powerful about what you've built and the and kind of the two head, you know, the two companies that you're running. Because I mean that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, making quick cash on flips and wholesales is sure. all fun and dandy, right? But the it goal is. is to build that portfolio, invest your money into assets that continue to pay you when you can't work. A- absolutely. And yeah. so being able to, you know, you, 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 I'm sure you guys have done flips and you've done some wholesales and yes. done some wholesales, but exactly like you said, being able to pick and choose, not worry yes. about the bills not being paid. You've got this company going and yes. this is strictly going out and hunting, hunting to deals, add to yes. that portfolio. Yes. And, and it's nice because it gives us that flexibility. You know, it doesn't put a whole lot of pressure on us. Like we have to sell every property. No, we don't. We don't have to do that because third power is profitable and it keeps us going, you know? So yeah. I like, and then they both go hand in hand, you know? Yeah, they both develop each other. Correct, yeah. Well, let's add some value because, Henry, you've already given a lot of value to the listeners. Well, I hope so. The listeners <laughs> that we talk to have zero construction background. If they come across a deal and they think it's a deal, but they don't know how to run the numbers on the rehab, they don't know how to manage the rehab, are you looking to joint venture on stuff? 
Um, I've had people reach out to me before uh, with joint venture. For me, it, it's challenging. I guess it would just depend on what are they going to bring to the table because I know managing a rehab is challenging and I have a lot on my plate already. So if they were bringing something uh, unique or th- the terms worked out, yeah, I would be open to it. Yeah. Okay. So if people want to reach out to you and you're also a cash buyer. I'm also a cash buyer. Let's clarify that as well. (laughs) If you have a deal and especially something that has a remodel that you don't fully comprehend, Henry, you got to be one of the best people I can think of to reach out to and say, hey, what does this even look like on a remodel? And then also what could you, Henry, pay uh, if I lock this thing up and assign it to you, sure, yeah, and and I think your experience on this whole rehab construction side, along with you've exited multiple deals, you have people around you who can help you come up with ARV if it's right. a particularly difficult house. How like how would you want them to reach out to you? They can reach out to me through Instagram, or you know, I've been posting uh, little videos on my Instagram that have my direct numbers to both companies on there, so they can they can shoot me a text, phone call. What's and your- I've had- What's I've your Instagram, people. real quick? Uh, my Instagram, I have two of them. So I have one for Third Power Construction, which I'm not very active on, but you can find it under Third Power Construction, all one word. And then my personal page is where I'm more active. It's Henry Resendez 3. Gotcha. And then my Facebook is also Henry Resendez 3. I, I joined Facebook 20 years too late, but it is what it is. <laughs> Well, Henry, as we wrap up, I know, like Scott was saying, you've already shared a crap ton of value for people on the other end, either listening or watching. But any last final piece of advice for, you know, that newer investor who may be in a spot where they don't know what to do next? I mean, you've talked about the importance of mentors, having that background in construction. Yes. Like, what what is it that you think is that golden nugget for someone to walk away with to get that ball rolling? Don't give up. Because a lot of people, they get discouraged, right? And and I personally have experienced that. When I first started sending out postcards, it's like, really, another batch going out? And I was getting calls, but it's people cussing me out, telling me to take me off of their effing list and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, it, it starts to build and weigh on you. And it's like, okay, man, this sucks. But don't give up. Just keep on sending them. If And marketing is very expensive. So using direct mail is very expensive. So if you're new and you're just starting out, there's guys I follow on Instagram. They're out there pounding the, the concrete. They're out there door knocking. And they're getting deals. Or they're driving for dollars. My wife and I will drive for dollars. Now, it's fun for me for about an hour. And then after that, it's like, okay, I, I've had enough. You know, this, this sucks. Um, I'm, I'm teaching my sons, by the way, what to look for. And it's exciting to see them. Oh shit. Look, dad, there's a house. (laughs) Stop dad. Stop. I want to, you know, (laughs) write down the address. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) So that's my kind of my goal to train them. Cause you know, when you're young, you get your driver's license. Hell you want to drive around for no reason. And I go out there and (laughs) go and drive neighborhoods, man. Make, make me a list and let's see if we get any hits off of it. So there are other things that people can do. I just don't personally have the time to sit there and door knock. Hmm. So I'm choosing mail. And you've said it before. I've, I've closed a few deals. So we have a little bit of cash flow that we can uh, put into the business and, and take care of the marketing. But I would say don't give up. Follow these guys, these two guys here. We're mentored by the same mentor that I have and currently have. Um, there's, there's a lot of good information and networking. Go to the real estate meetups. You're going to meet a lot of different people there. So that that would be my advice to the newbie. Dude, 
Thank you for coming on. I've had hey, so for many me, questions man. about <laughs> what happens with a fire. This makes me feel it's intriguing. Calmer that like if a fire happens, one, I've always been a proponent of good insurance. Oh yes, always make sure yes. you're insured correctly mm-hmm. yes. on an investment deal <laughs> and your primary. And I would like to add in closing, I'm a huge advocate. If you're renting a property, you are not the landlord. Ooh, carry renters insurance, please. Mm. I beg you. It's like 20 bucks a month and worth every penny. I see a lot of ugly things that happen in this field. Hmm. And imagine you've lost all of your personal belongings and now you're homeless because the apartment or house that you were renting is destroyed. I mean, that's, that's a nightmare. If you have renter's insurance, it will cover all of your personal belongings and they will help relocate you wow. and find you a place to live. So very important. Stop what you're doing. If you don't carry it, Go get it. Dude, Henry, thank you seriously for coming on. No problem, Matt. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Dude, this was fun. This was. Thank you. Absolutely, yes. Thank you for coming on, man. We appreciate you. We'll see you guys next week. See ya.